What's up, y'all, and welcome into the Jack Vita Show. I am your host, Jack Vita. We are taping this on Friday, August 11th, 2023. Hard to believe we are now in the middle of August. What a fast season it has been. What a fast summer it has been. Last week, we spoke with, or at least our last baseball episode, I guess it was two weeks ago, we had Bob Nightingale on. We were talking a lot of trade deadline stuff. I was out of town last week, so we didn't have a baseball episode come out. But today we're talking some more ball, and we also have some Pac-12 news to discuss. Uh, big, we're about a week late on this, but obviously it's still relevant. College football, college sports is changing rapidly. Things are looking a lot different. So we're going to discuss that. We're also going to take a look at what's going on with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. I know they're not technically the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, but I still like to call them that. Uh, and we'll just talk some baseball news. So joining us today, once again, we had him. I can't believe it's been almost three months uh, since we had him on last time. Rhett Bollinger, he covers the Angels for MLB.com. Rhett, great to have you here, my friend. Yeah, thanks for having me on again. This is great. Uh, it was a fun time last time. Like I said, can you believe that was almost three months ago now? No, I mean, it's crazy. The way the baseball season always flies. I mean, it's just every year it just kind of goes so fast. It's just one of those things kind of rolls into the next one now. I mean, I've been working for MLB since 2008 in general. I mean, every year, like, man, I can't believe how fast this goes. So, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's crazy the way that, that happens. It is crazy. And that something that some people might not know about me is I'm actually, I work as a substitute teacher in addition to writing. And the last time I talked to you was actually the last day of school. And oh, wow. school starts on Monday now. So wow, okay, so that's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> old summer went by. School's starting earlier than it used to these days. Uh, too yeah. early. Definitely too early. <laughs> <laughs> they should start after Labor Day, I think. So they, started, yeah, and as a kid, it was always right around you know late September, sorry, early September, maybe late August. But yeah, it was always later than this. Yeah, ours was probably like the last week of August, but now it's like August fourteenth. It's, it's crazy. So, speaking of schools, Rhett attended USC, the USC, not the, not the other USC. <laughs> and uh, Rhett was there back in the heyday. He covered sports for the uh, school student newspaper and media outlets that they had there at USC. Um, and college sports, as we mentioned, Pac-12, things are changing very rapidly. A year ago... I mean, it was really shocking to me, and I think to most people, and probably you too, USC, UCLA, moving to the Big Ten, and now a year later, we're getting the aftershock of that. We've got Colorado, uh, Arizona, Arizona State, they're all going to the Big 12. Is there another one going to the Big 12 that I'm forgetting? Utah, I believe. Utah, yes. yeah, Utah. Neither there's another one. And then Washington and Oregon now to the Big Ten. And I wouldn't be surprised if something's happened in the time since I last checked. And now we're talking about other schools leaving. So, Rhett, as a former student at a Pac-12 school, your school is not going to be in the Pac-12 for very much longer. I'd love to hear your take and your assessment of things here. What's going on? Yeah, it's definitely sad. You know, this is, you know, someone who grew up on the West Coast, you know, watching Pac-12 uh, sports and football especially. Um, and the rivalries that have been part of that for, you know, a long time. This has been a conference that's been around for um, over a century, you know, and for it to now all of a sudden pretty much not exist. You know, there's only four teams left and Stanford and Cal and, you know, Washington State and Oregon State. Um, it's sad, but I mean, it, it came to this because of money and because of a lot of uh, mistakes that the conference made under their, you know, poor leadership over the years um, and their TV deals. I just never really got. Uh, the right one and the Big 12 kind of came from underneath them and then got ESPN to re-up and uh, the Pac-12 was kind of left with nothing on their most recent deal with really only an Apple TV, um, you know, TV package that would have been not worth it for the schools. So it's too bad, you know, and it, it should never have happened. You know, I, I think they should have got a better media deal before this. And but, you know, they, they didn't treat the big schools right and they didn't, uh, you know, do the right things with the, the you know, with the TV networks to get a right deal. And Sure enough, now they're behind everybody and everybody's left scrambling to get their money somewhere else, you know, and, um, you know, the, the Big Ten money is just, and the SEC money is just so much more than everybody else. It's kind of the big two. And now we've seen that, you know, the ACC try to maybe poach schools as well and talk to Stanford and Cal, but that didn't work out. So right now it's just craziness. I mean, the fact that even that the ACC is talking to teams in the Bay Area is crazy to me. And the fact that, you know, that all these teams in the West Coast now are going to be playing 
schools in the you know Midwest and you know East Coast is crazy too. So it's too bad it came to that, and that money kind of rules it all. Um, so it's going to be strange as a USC fan to, to have them play a bunch of new schools and and, and really have a lot more uh, you know worse travel. Ask any Major League Baseball fan what they think of a Apple TV games. <laughs> yeah, I mean the quality is nice. I mean really the the picture looks great. Um, but yeah, it's tough, you know, and if you don't pay for the product, you know, and, and you don't want to, it's another thing to have to pay for it. It's kind of a pain yeah. for fans to have to do that. They just want to be able to watch it over the air and watch it on, you know, I know cable's not exactly thriving, but it's still easier when, you know, the Big Ten and your contracts are with Fox and CBS and all the local, you know, the local broadcasters, so you can actually watch these games. Whereas, yeah, if the Pac-12 is exclusively on Apple TV and not over the air, you know, that's a big, a big issue for a lot of fans. Yeah, so with the Apple TV deal with Major League Baseball, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe last year you could watch those games for free. At least yeah, a lot I of them. believe that was how it started out. You could. I think yeah. The subscription. And even though that was – so that was challenging for some people to find it, especially older folks that might not be as up to date with technology or figuring out how you can, like, screencast from your phone and put it on your TV – it was a little bit of an inconvenience, but the games were at least accessible and easy. Like, you could just pull it up on your phone and play it on the TV. But now you're asking fans to, when their team comes up, and maybe they only play a couple of these games each year, you want them to subscribe for $6, $7 a month. You add that on top of all the other subscriptions. And especially when you're in a market like Chicago, and people are paying for the marquee sports network. And that costs, you can buy that for a $20 a month subscription that's it's not cheap to watch Cubs games and not even all the games are on there so yeah I just I don't know if uh fans are crazy about having their games up on streaming platforms other than say a Netflix or an Amazon Prime which seemingly everybody has yeah and don't forget MLB has a deal too with Peacock on Sundays too so I mean I get why they do it they're trying to expand their their base and try to get as many deals as they can but they tried this with Facebook a couple of years ago. Didn't really work out. And we've seen, you know, NFL do it with Twitter. So I think MLB and the leagues are trying to experiment. That's one thing if they do it every now and then, whereas the Pac-12 deal is going to be, it's like it's going to be exclusively on yeah. the platform. So, yeah, it's tough for fans. But I do think things are going to get um, better, if only because even if this Bally's thing right now with the way it's been going, um, there's a chance that MLB will be able to take over a lot of these rights and hopefully will be able, able to – to sell these better to fans and be able to have them watch their teams, whether they have to just pay for just to watch it by itself or it'll be on some other network or whatever. It's going to be on TV. So hopefully, you know, eventually they get rid of the blackouts too on MLB.tv. That's obviously a big issue. So I do think things right now should get better with as much as the Bally's thing has been a disaster. I think that uh, MLB stepping in should help, help their TV right field going forward. But I guess we'll kind of see how it all goes. Yeah. So I know that, for instance, Arizona Diamondbacks are now broadcast by MLB. And I think the Padres might be the other team. Yeah, those are the only two as of now. I believe as of now, yeah. Yeah. So if you live in those markets, is it basically, if you live in Arizona, you just pull up MLB.tv and you watch them on there? I believe so. And I think, too, they, they broadcast some of the games just on, over the air on, like, a local you know, broadcast channel, like, channel. Okay, yeah. That's great. I, I would like that, honestly, because... Um, one thing I really like about MLB.tv is it gives you the option to sync up the radio broadcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some people have more of a sentimental attachment to their radio broadcasters than TV. And I love being able to do that. But you can't do that if that team is playing in your market. Yeah, exactly. And it was fun with that, you know, with that fight last week, too, with the Jose yes. Ramirez one. The, the radio broadcast was the best one by far, you know. Hamilton's call of, you know, <laughs> down goes Anderson, down goes Anderson. So that was the radio call was better than the TV call. So that's when it's fun, too. You're right, though, just to listen to the radio. And yeah, MLB.tv really is a great product, but would be a much, much better product without uh, without blackouts. Yeah, agreed. So you mentioned the big fight. I mean, I know this might not be a popular opinion, might not be a popular thing to say. I really like it when we get these things. I think it's fun. I think it's it makes for good content. It brings attention to the game. It seems like there's been a greater push to try to eliminate these confrontations and just say, like, okay, like if the guy flips his bat or does whatever, you got to be okay with it, no retaliation. But I think the retaliation is often more interesting in the confrontation than the actual act of celebrating. So 
Um, we had this, I mean, man, it was, it was everything people talked about for like two days, even three days going into the weekend. Uh, did you enjoy that as much as I sound like I did? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's always entertaining, I mean, especially one like that, but it shows you too, there really are rivalries and there are teams that don't really like each other. Um, and you know, the guardians and white Sox play each other a lot. Clearly there, there's some bad blood and, and same thing with, you know, the Angels and the Mariners, we saw them have a brawl last year. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of carried over in terms of, you can tell they just don't really like each other in general. You know, the Mariners swept the Angels in four games last week. And, you know, you could hear the, the Mariners celebrating from their clubhouse like they won the World Series, like all four games. I think it was just, they're so happy just to rub it into the Angels' faces. So, I mean, you can kind of tell there's these rivalries and clearly Jose Ramirez and Tim Anderson had a little bit of a history and, and Ramirez didn't like how he'd been tagged and, uh, you know, Anderson challenged him and <laughs> the umpire backed away and <laughs> let him have at it. And to Jose's credit, he, he got Anderson there and got him to the ground. So um, it was entertaining, you know, and there's obviously other parts of the fight, too. There was like a second and third part, <laughs> kind of like the, the Angels Mariners last year where the coaches get involved. Um, so, it's like yeah, a three act play. It's never great when, the, you know, the players get punched in the face. But <laughs> um, MLB probably doesn't love that. But at the same time, it is. It's let's be honest, it was pretty entertaining and but it changes this guy's reputations too. You know, now Jose kind of gets the reputation of don't mess with me and, and Anderson, as much as he had this kind of really cool guy reputation, it's like, well, <laughs> I gotta take a hit now because he got hit. So um yeah, it's tough for Tim Anderson. I feel for the guy. It seems like he's going through a lot right now. He's really had a tough time on the field and then that didn't help his reputation either. So for his own sake, hopefully he has a, a good off season and gets his head straight. And comes back and becomes a player that you know we've seen in the past because uh, he's good for baseball. You know he really is. So um, it's too bad to see him and play the way that he is, and then also see that happen on the field as well. So, um, but overall, yeah, I'm not gonna lie. It was it was it was entertaining. It was entertaining. It's, it's like a it's like a car crash you can't look away from. Yeah, right. I, I yeah, exactly. You don't want to see anyone get hurt. You don't want to no, see that's anyone. Thing. Actually... He did get. You know, he got hit pretty good. So you don't want to see anybody get hurt. But uh, yeah, you know, but we like. like did Jimenez get hurt again somehow too? Or <laughs> he did, I think. Yeah, poor guy always hurt. Yeah, um, but that was like so many things stood out to me in that the first act of this three act play <laughs> was the first part was um, so Tim Anderson tagged him hard. Jose didn't like it. Put his hand out and basically said, "Hey, help me up," is what it looked like he said. And Anderson declined. Something happened, and it looked like Anderson was the one who initiated. He threw his mitt down and basically said, let's go. So he starts squaring up. And Jose, uh, John Boy did a good job of the breakdown of this. He does a very good job of these. And that's an, I think that's another reason why I I get kind Amazing, of excited right? when yeah. these things happen. I'm like, okay, there's going to be a good John Boy video right? coming good out. Breakdown coming. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it was interesting because it looked like Anderson instigated it. Jose, as John Boy covered, really great reputation in this sport you yeah. never see him in these kind of is incidents and he just doesn't look like he even wants to be in this situation <laughs> but he's got to stick up for himself and i mean man he ducks it he he weaves he ducks a couple punches and he throws a nice counter punch square yeah. in the face if you look closely like anderson if you look at his face as he's getting hit he's got that like good night like look on mm -hmm. his face like he's going to sleep so he went so, down and then when he came back up too he was still pretty wobbly yeah you watch that video afterward he's coming off with his teammates so he definitely he got him pretty good Look, uh, let's be honest it was also interesting though how there was seemingly from what we saw on camera it didn't look like anyone was running over to try to stop them it was no, like, okay, let's let, let them do their thing. It's kind yeah. of like a hockey fight. Let, let them do their little yeah. fight. Let them kind of, they got their own little thing. Let them fight, and then we'll get in once we need to. <gasps> oh, my God. He was in there, and he was kind of trying to hold back. You know, he still had his glove on for whatever reason, but he was trying to hold back Ramirez, but didn't do a great job considering Ramirez got that punch in uh, while Kopech was right there. Yeah, and it was interesting that nobody tried to then throw a punch at Jose after he took yeah. out Anderson. Yeah, I think there's some of his baby baseball code. They don't want to like go like too crazy and just have a full on fine <laughs> brawl. Doesn't happen too often. Don't want a malice at the palace. Yeah, situation. right. We don't need anybody to, yeah getting concussions or anything else. This isn't the first time that Tim Anderson has gotten into a scuffle or a an first time being suspended. This is the first time we've seen Jose in this situation. Now, looking at it from a baseball angle. I'm really interested to see, like, this feels like, to me, 
I've been I picked Cleveland to win the American League coming into the year. I thought they were going to have a great year. They have not. They've been very disappointing. They've had a lot of injuries. They're a young team. And I just feel like I've been waiting for them to flip a switch all season. It's like, if this isn't the thing that gets them going, nothing will. Yeah, I mean, last year we saw that fight with the Angels and Mariners, and the Angels thought maybe that would get them going. And sure enough, it was the opposite. They fell apart after that. And the Mariners were the ones that went off after that, went on a big run and made it to the postseason. So um, Angels, I think, were also hurt because of suspensions. You know, it was a lot. You know, they lose Nevin for a full 10 games and you know, other players and coaching staff. It was a tough, tough uh, thing for the Angels to go through, and they definitely played pretty poorly coming out of it, whereas the Mariners played well. So you're right, those kind of things can galvanize a team. We'll see the Guardians definitely have to be a better team offensively. They have the pitching. Their, their rotation is always amazing. Even with guys injured, they have these new guys come up and these rookies come in, and uh, they're great. It really is amazing the way they, they can um, produce pitching. And even Noah Syndergaard was okay on Thursday. So, um, yeah, they just, got, they just got to score more runs. And I don't know if they have the – the players to do that or not, but said so maybe they kind of get it going here and and you know they're what three and a half back or so of yep, the three point. and a half back. And the Twins right now haven't been playing that great either, so uh, the division's there for the taking. Both teams have struggled this year. <laughs> um, the this AL Central's been a, a rough a rough division this year, so you never know. But they definitely have to score some more runs. That's uh, that's their that's their biggest issue for sure. For sure. Cleveland faces former Guardian Aaron Savali tonight. Yeah. Tonight. Oh, really? Okay. Wow. The Rays trade, huh? Yeah. Manzardo. So that'll be a. I mean, that's going to be an interesting series. It's a rematch of last year's uh, wild card series, but then yeah. you got the Savali matchup. Be interesting, interesting. to see how they shake yeah. out. Sorry, what was that, Rhett? I, I didn't realize that. Wow, it's interesting. Wow, yeah. It's been a disappointing year, and I, I thought that maybe they could be a little bit like Atlanta from two years ago, where they're in such a bad division. They just really have to get hot at the right time. But like you said. I'm concerned about their offense. So even if they win this division, I don't think they're going to be making a deep push this year. Yeah, it'd be tough for them. I and mean, they have the starting pitching definitely to, to, to win games, but that offense has been pretty rough. Um, you know, they probably have to have a better offseason and make some moves to add some pieces. I know they've got some prospects and that kind of stuff coming up. They have a pretty good farm system. But as of right now, as they're currently constructed, um, they don't really have a, a, you know, a big offense right now. So that's their biggest issue. Obviously, they can get things going. Last year, they were a team that you know didn't have a, you know, a traditionally great offense. They didn't really get for any power, but they at least got on base and then scored runs, kind of moving guys around the old, kind of the old-fashioned way. But this year, that hasn't even happened. So maybe if they can get that going, kind of like they did last year, maybe they can start picking up some wins here. But they definitely have to start playing a, kind of a different type of baseball than they've been playing, uh, the, you know, the, so far this season. Well, last year, the home run numbers were down league-wide. And we also had this big shift where we still had the shift. Mm. And so they had a they were able to put the ball in play better than anybody. Now you have the power numbers back up and you get rid of the shift. So a lot of other teams are able to hit for better contact. So it makes what they were able to do less valuable, I would say. Yeah, I can see that. It definitely makes sense. Yeah, you're right. Especially with the shift being gone, putting the ball in play, there's gonna be yeah. More outs, I guess. It's going to be less, less, yeah, less outs, I guess, if you're putting the ball in play. But yeah, I guess you're right. They're kind of some of their advantages, I guess, are kind of diminished with some of the new rules. Yeah, and then I mean, they've also had Andre Jimenez was an MVP caliber player exactly, last year. Yeah. He's taken a step back. He's a young player, though. It could just be a sophomore. Well, not sophomore slump, but you know, he'll bet maybe he bounces back later, right. later this year or next year. But Josh Bell was a struggle, and they traded yeah. him. Ahmad Rosario had a down year and they traded him, and he's been good for the Dodgers so far. So, yeah, definitely trading away pieces of, of offense didn't help uh, also as well. Yeah, Rosario was playing a pretty weak shortstop this yeah, season was. defensively. Very, now the Dodgers have him at second base, and they can just I, use the bat, and that's what L.A. does, huh? Yeah, and they only <laughs> use him really against lefties too. So they put him in situations you know, to succeed, and so far he's done really well. I think he had like nine RBIs in his first eight games with the Dodgers. So they always find ways to – you know, Kike Hernandez was terrible with the Red Sox. He comes over to the Dodgers. He's been great. You know, they always, you know, Lance Lynn was terrible with the White Sox. He's, come <laughs> He's been great. So they find ways to put guys in situations to uh, succeed. And it's pretty amazing what the Dodgers uh, do. Just every time they get a player, they somehow turn them good. It's crazy. Jason Hayward, right? I mean, another guy. That, oh, my gosh. Well, nice you know what's guy. funny is out of all the former Cubs that are still playing from that 2016 team, so you got Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, 
Javier Baez, Kyle Schwarber, Wilson Contreras. Uh, those are really the big five. Jason Hayward has a better OPS than all, all of them. <laughs> That's crazy. You never would have guessed that in a million years, right? That's and the Cubs just DFA'd him. They're paying his contract this year. That's crazy. That's what the Dodgers do. They find ways. Speaking of the Cubs and confrontations, let me ask your opinion on this, Rhett. Uh, so it's been two weeks now, but we haven't had a show out for a little bit. So two weeks ago, Ian Happ, uh, in his follow-through, he ended up hitting Wilson Contreras in the head with his bat, and Contreras had to leave the game. Miles Michaelis then on the next two pitches, he throws one up and in, which kind of looked like a brushback pitch. And then the next pitch, he plunks him square in the rear end. Michaelis gets ejected, but not only does he get ejected, he also gets suspended for, and has to miss his next start. Uh, did you think Major League Baseball handled that properly? Yeah, absolutely. You can't throw guys like that. I mean, especially when it's that obvious. You miss him one time and then do it again. I know he's frustrated his catcher got hit in the head by a backswing, but it wasn't on purpose. So, I mean, that kind of stuff happens in the game. Every now and then catchers are going to get hurt, and it's just part of the game. Um, it wasn't intentional, So, but the throwing out the batter was absolutely intentional. Um, so the Cardinals, if they're acting like it was, you know, some sort of uh, bad decision by, you know, the league or something like that, or I know they try, I know, the, I know their manager was also out there trying to argue. To me, it's ridiculous. Of course, he threw at him. Of course, he should should be suspended. So uh, the Cardinals are in a rough spot this year. You got to figure they're going to have to fire their manager at the end of the year because they've been so bad. But yeah, just another bad look for the Cardinals this year in a year full of bad looks, to be honest. Rhett, before we move along to the Angels, I want to circle back to the pack four we got a four pack right now <laughs> what do you think the future is for these four schools that remain gosh it's really tough to tell with stanford and cal especially i mean they're still big marquee schools in a sense and so for them to have no home uh, is crazy no real logical one either you know with the acc saying no it sounds like i don't know what they're gonna do i mean stanford, you know i could see speaking of that i could see i feel like academically they'd be the type of schools that would the big 10 would like to have yeah, they would be, but they haven't really had any interest so far because the TV. The problem is right now, yeah. it's not really what the Big Ten schools even really want. It's what the TV partners want, right? right. So Washington and Oregon were added not because of their academics, especially not Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, there's any Oregon alums on that. Spoken like a USC alum. Right? <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so they were added because you know they thought they do well TV wise, right? Some of the better rated games in college football involved. Oregon a lot, but sometimes Washington. And so Fox decided to pay only half the money, right? They're only getting half the money that everybody else is getting. They're getting 35, whatever, instead of 70, um, or 30 instead of 60, whatever it is. Um, so they're getting half the money of UCLA and USC and all the other Big Ten schools. But Fox is paying that money because they felt like Oregon and Washington were worth it. But apparently, according to their ratings and their metrics, they don't feel like Cal or Stanford is worth adding to the Big Ten because of that. So even if the conference you know, wanted them, the TV money is not there for them, and the schools aren't going to want to split any money with them either. Um, and they didn't want to split any money with Oregon or Washington either, and they don't have to. Oregon and Washington got their own smaller deal to join. Um, so to me, Stanford and Cal, it would make sense academically, even just to get two more teams in the West Coast, make yeah. it 20. I just don't think it's going to happen because the Big Ten doesn't want it to. So the problem now becomes where do they go? And maybe Stanford becomes independent, but I don't know how they're going to get their own TV deal to fund that. Because the problem is, you know, the, you know that the Mountain West and some of these places really want these schools, but their TV deal is so small. You know, they only make 4 or $5 million a year per school. So um, I think Washington State and Oregon State are probably going to have to go into that conference and probably do that. But even they're going to go from they were making 20-something a year, you know, before this in their previous Pac-12 deal to all of a sudden making 4 or $5 million. I don't know how they're going to be able to balance their budgets with their other smaller sports and compete, uh, especially in sports like football or basketball, with all the salaries, with the coaches and the facilities. So it's too bad. And same with Stanford and Cal. I mean, it, it costs a lot of money these days to run an athletic department in college. And, you know, they were running big budgets because they had big TV revenue. And now that, that you know, well is dry, it sounds like. So um, they're going to have to scramble and figure this out. But it's definitely not good for those four schools. Uh, they're definitely tough in a really tough spot. And I really am curious to see, especially what Stanford and Cal decide to do, um, because they're you know Stanford and Cal are two of the better schools in terms of the Olympic sports too, right? I mean, yeah. I think Stanford's won the most national championships of any university um, overall. They always you know the Sears whatever it is or the 
um, number one sports school in terms of the, all the other smaller schools, smaller sports, sorry, Stanford and Cal are great at those. So it's tough. I mean, we'll see where they land, but it's definitely not a good thing for those uh, programs. We'll also see how these West Coast schools, their non-football and basketball sports, how those sports are impacted, which if we end up losing some of those sports, that would be real tragedy because, as you mentioned, like that's a, a lot of our Olympic uh, track and field people, they're coming out of the oh, yeah. Pac-12. Yeah. yeah, track and field and swimming and all that stuff. Yeah. People coming out of the Pac-12 and out of Stanford and Cal and, yeah, and even out of USC and UCLA especially too. And, right, even those sports are going to be in a tough spot. You know, if you're going to go to UCLA to play softball or something, it's like now you're not going to be playing Arizona or, you know, Stanford or schools that are close by and rivals. You're going to be playing all the way out in the Midwest against schools you didn't have any particular rivalry with before, and the travel is going to be tough. Um, for all the smaller schools, I know, or sorry, smaller sports, I know that they're going to have, you know, a lot more chartered flights because of the increased money in their budget and that kind of thing. Um, but the travel doesn't make any sense. So really, at some point, whole point is what they got to do eventually is just make football its own separate thing. And the schools that want to be part of that can be. And it's a football only type thing. Get rid of the NCAA with football and then make, go back to the conferences that make sense regionally for the other sports. Let the people yeah. in baseball and, uh, you know, and then softball and, you know, track and field or whatever else, whatever sports you're playing, you know, there's no reason for you to be playing on the other side of the country You go play a baseball game at Maryland or whatever it is. If you're playing for, for USC, you should be playing, you know, schools like Oregon and or I guess Washington State or whatever teams that are more local or the Arizona schools, or whatever. So to me, that makes the most sense eventually. I don't know if we'll get there or not, but I, I do think right now the conference stuff just makes no sense geographically. Um, and it's all about the TV money. But the TV money really is only for football and uh, basketball anyway. So they need to figure out a way to separate this and, and make it make more sense uh, logistically for sure. The schools that bounced and went to the Big 12, though, that one isn't going to be quite as bad of a geographic nightmare. I know you No, got... not really. No, a lot more Texas schools in there. And the travel yeah. won't be quite as bad. There'll be new rivalries. I mean, Colorado was already previously in it. So yep. kinda, it makes sense. But um, in the Arizona schools, it's not as bad at travel, but. They're not thrilled. I mean, Arizona State doesn't even want to do it. Their their you know school president and AD are clearly against the move. Even even though they're joining, I mean, even their AD said he's not going to go to any. He's like, I'm not going to go to West Virginia if we're playing there. Um, so he said he wouldn't travel east of Texas. So clearly, it's just a you know if they don't even want to be there, it's a great you know welcome to the conference. <laughs> it's a tough situation all around. You could tell Arizona State wanted the Pac-12 to survive. It almost did. The Pac-12 was close to surviving. It's just at the last hour, Fox came up with that money for Oregon and Washington, and they took it because it was $30 million and better than $20 million and, and better exposure on you know Fox and CBS than on Apple TV. So it's a mess. It's too bad. I, I just hope at some point they can figure this out and make it a, a football-only thing and then let the conferences go back to normal and the smaller sports. But I guess we'll kind of see how that all goes. Yeah, the Big 12, I you sometimes forget about the West Virginias and now Cincinnati and UCF. I mean, are there any are there any one other ones out there on the Eastern? I'd have to look it up. I mean, not, I mean, not ACC, many though. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And then ACC's locked in their deal with ESPN for a long time, which is which is tough too. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, and then obviously the Big 12, at least their deal, they were able to add these schools and they're able to get full shares. So they did a good job. Their their commissioner, the Big 12, did a great job of. Of getting a TV deal before the Pac-12 did, and then also get a deal where they were able to add new members who also got the yeah. full share. So um, the Big 12 looks pretty smart, and the Pac-12 uh, is there's a reason why there's only four of them left. So it's well, too it was, bad they uh, had bad leadership. Two years ago, when Texas and Oklahoma announced that they were leaving the Big 12, it was like, what's going to happen? Should these Big 12 schools go to the Pac-12 if they yeah. want to survive? And we ended up now two years later, Big 12 looks like the big winners. Yeah. I think what will be interesting, I kind of like about the Big 12, is they're really shaping up an extremely strong basketball conference. That's the thing. They're the best by far now in basketball. Adding Arizona was huge for them. Um, yeah, Arizona, Kansas will be fun. I mean, they're going to be, yeah, they're already the most dominant, um, you know, basketball conference. And now it's going to be like, by far, yeah, they're going to be a really yeah. good conference. So it was last year, and now you add to that, you've got Houston coming in. Yeah, exactly. Cincinnati is no slouch. They've had a nope. lot of really good teams. And then yep. uh, BYU is solid in really all sports. Mm -hmm. And then 
of course, you know, Arizona with yeah, Kansas be- and some of these other schools, like it's going to be an awesome basketball conference. Awesome so I'm basketball. excited about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and speaking of rivalries, you can have BYU and Utah playing each other. Yeah, how about that? I saw some funny stuff on Twitter about that. So <laughs> some good jokes from BYU's Twitter account. So, Rhett, it wasn't that long ago that things were looking great for the Los Angeles Angels. Obviously, you cover this team very closely. Now, they have won their last couple games, so maybe they're riding the ship a little bit. But this is a team that went in at the deadline. Went, were They were buyers. They went out and got Giolito. They got some other nice pieces. Giolito really being kind of the headliner, one of the biggest available arms at the deadline. Um, and what followed was, I mean, the first, I think it was the first day after the deadline, or maybe it was the day of the deadline, the Angels beat the Braves, and it's looking like, man, things are looking really good. They lose, what, seven in a row, eight in a row? Seven in a row, Seven yeah. in a row, yeah. So now they've won their last couple games. What 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 happened here with this team, and where's this team going? Yeah, it was tough. You know, it was one of these things where we weren't really sure, you know, if they're going to be buyers for sure leading up to the deadline, but they wanted a nice little run. They swept the Yankees. You know, they swept the Tigers. And they decided, you know what, with Shohei on our team, we're only a couple games back of the wild card. I think there were three games back at the time. I thought, you know what, we're going to go for it. So they made, you know, the big trade for Giolito uh, from the White Sox. Also get, you know, Lopez in that trade too. Yeah. You know, a big reliever who's really helped them. He gets back today after being away from the team uh, for family reasons, um, after a death in his family. So, but he's been great. You know, he had a big save for them already. Um, but the problem was, yeah, you're right. They made these trades. You know, they go out and get Dominic Leone from the Mets as well. Um, and they basically haven't, they didn't win a game for seven days afterward. You know, they start, the losing streak started on the trade deadline on August 1st. They beat the Braves on the 31st and then lost the last two games to the Braves and then uh, won a losing streak and got swept by the Mariners in four games, which was a really tough one. You know, they came into that series, I think, only a half a game behind the Mariners and, and looking to kind of have some momentum after those big trades. Whereas the Mariners, you know, traded their own closer, uh, Paul Seawald, to the Diamondbacks. So they kind of sold on a small scale while the Angels kind of, you know, added all these pieces and, you know, getting C.J. Crone uh, from the Rockies along with Randall Grichik, too, to fill in some holes. You kind of thought, OK, this team's going to make a, you know, maybe make a playoff push. And then to lose seven in a row, you know, kind of they fell behind the, you know, the Mariners and behind the Yankees and behind the Red Sox. Um, so now they're in a tough spot, you know, right now. Um, I think seven and a half back uh, of the wild card, six and a half back. It's a tough spot to be in, especially with other teams ahead of you. I mean, it's not like they're 100% out of it yet. I mean, they could go on a run, you know, Mike Trout coming back in, you know, a week or so. And, um, you know, Logan Ohapi, they'll be catching prospects back in a few weeks. That's huge. But, That's huge. There's help coming, but it might be too late now. That losing streak might have sunk them. Um, we'll see here. They've won two in a row, you know, which is big for them over you know, beating the Giants. But now they have a tough stretch. You know, we're in Houston right now. They play the, you know, the Astros, and then they play the Rangers right after that. Um, they still have a series against the Rays this month, too. So they have a tough um, schedule this month. So they've got to kind of figure it out and figure it out uh, in a hurry here um, because, it, you know, having that many teams ahead of them in the wild card chase makes it more difficult. If it was only just, you know, just only behind one team, it would be one thing. But they got to pass, you know, three or four teams to get in the postseason. So they got to get it going pretty much right away here. They'd be in a lot better shape if they were in the National League. <laughs> yeah, we're in the AL Central, right? If the National <laughs> yeah. League, they'd be fine, or the AL Central. They have a decent roster. They just, they're just one of those teams. They're just frustrating. You know, when they pitch well, they don't hit. And when they hit, they don't pitch well. You know, they scored seven runs off of Luis Castillo and couldn't win. And, you know, so they've had these kind of games. And Carlos Estevez has been great all year, but, you know, he blew two saves this week at the worst possible time. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been tough to, to kind of see them go through that just because they went all in and all for, you know, Shohei Otani, who's in the last year of his contract, you know, want to make him get to the postseason for the first time. They haven't made it since 2014, so they thought, you know what, let's go all in. Hard to blame them. You know, I think mathematically, I mean, the Sparta decision probably might have been to sell or to even, you know, move on from Shohei at that point, but there was no way they were ever going to do that ownership they're going to try to keep Shohei they want to try to keep him happy try to get him to the postseason um so they decided to go all, all in and go for it and sure enough they lost seven in a row right after they did it which was really tough for them and uh, we'll see if they can bounce back they got to go on a winning streak here um, and against some really tough teams 
Yeah, and speaking of the decision not to trade Shohei, if we, the club had not gone on a seven-game losing streak, if they just went five, played five, 500 ball last week, they're in a much better spot in this American League. And then if they start winning a few games, win a few series, they look like they look very smart for hanging on to Shohei Otani. So I feel like some of the people that might kill them for for making that decision to hang on to him. It's somewhat results-driven. I know a lot of people were saying that they should just trade him no matter what, but it's easier for you to tell somebody, hey, you've got this amazing sports car right here. You need to get rid of it. And it's like, I, I really like the sports car. I drive it all the time. Like, you don't want to do it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they didn't want to do it. I mean, ownership, part of it was if they didn't sweep the Yankees and if they didn't play well leading up to it, would they have done it? I still don't think they would have traded him. Maybe they wouldn't have been as aggressive at the deadline to add yeah. pieces. Um, but, you know, they were right there. They're three games back, and as fans, you know, you want your team to go for it and to try to make the postseason. So I thought they did the right thing. You're right, the results, so haven't been good since then. Uh, so on, on paper, it's been a bad move, but, um, you know, it's hard to fault them for what they did. Do you think that these next two months and what happens here are going to be significantly impactful with Otani making his decision on if he re-signs with this club or not? I think potentially, yeah. Um, it's going to be whatever he wants to do. And I think at this point, nobody really knows. I think people can say they know what he wants what he wants in the future. We know he wants to win, but we don't really know where yet, right? I mean, there's so much talk about where he'd want to play. and you know. But the truth is, nobody really knows. We know he's comfortable in Anaheim. Um, you know, He's been here for six years, and they treated him really well. Let him kind of do his thing and, uh, you know, tried to get him to the playoffs. But is it enough? We'll find out. And also contract wise, are they going to get there and, and be able to match some of the huge offers he's going to get? You know, with this season this year, he's going to win the MVP again. Is he going to get a $600 million deal or offer? Um, can the Angels match that? And even if they do, will they have enough payroll flexibility to build a team around him and, and Trout and, you know, Anthony Rendon's contract still three more years? So, a lot of questions in terms of that for the Angels, but also just his future and and what he wants and where he wants to go. And it's going to be the story of the offseason, you know, to see where he wants to go. And I do think if they would have, you know, made the postseason or how they play could have a an impact on it. You know, if they if they were to play really well down the stretch and make a big run, uh, you know, have some young players like Ohapi be a big part of it. And if Zach Nedo gets back from his back injury, maybe that helps him convince him that there's enough young talent here going forward to, to stay with the Angels, but right now it's really all up in the air. No one really knows what he's going to decide. I don't even really know if he knows what he's going to decide yet, um, and a lot of it I'm sure will come down to the contract offers he gets and you know the visions that these teams have for him uh, in the future. But, yeah, it's going to be fascinating. I mean, it's going to be the most uh, interesting free agency case in MLB history, if only because there's never been a player like Shohei, especially not one at a free agency uh, at a time like this. Yeah, at a certain point, the teams just – talk about with these negotiations hey you can have a stake in ownership if you sign here i mean it happens in private businesses yeah i don't know if MLB allows that or not <laughs> I forget. i'd have to look into the, the cba i don't know if they allow ownership or not but i mean certainly money wise they'll give whatever the heck uh, he wants i'm sure but it's going to be crazy money whatever he gets yeah that was um dan o'dowd was the first one i heard share that idea he had okay yeah he's talking no more than me so maybe you can so, I'll give him credit, but right. also blame if he's wrong. So. Right. We've seen it in other sports. We've seen it with Messi and his deal, right, in, in Miami. and um, So, yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy. that you know Every big market team is going to want to try to talk to him and set up a meeting and see if he's interested. And We saw you know the teams he interested in last time, and the Giants were one of them. They just were in town. Uh, a Giants reporter tried to ask Shohei about uh, his interest in the Giants initially and all that stuff, and Shohei just shut it down and said, I don't, I don't want to talk about the past. <laughs> so it's hard to get Shohei to talk about it either. So talking about the past or the future, he doesn't want to talk about either one. He'll talk <laughs> about his start and how he pitched, and he was actually pretty frustrated by his last start, even though he pitched really well. Uh, six innings, one on and run. So he's been pitching really well recently. Um, not really getting much pitches to hit. He's been walking a ton. Um, not as many home runs recently, but still, you know, pretty amazing. Got to 40 home runs, already got to 10 pitching wins. First player to ever do that. So it, the stuff he does every day is unbelievable. And when they lose, it's, it's never really his fault. So, um, you know, we'll see how they do the rest of the year. If they do play better, maybe it would convince him to stay. But 
we'll see. Like I said, I don't think anybody really knows what he wants or what he's going to do uh, quite yet. And it's, it's going to be a, a really crazy offseason to see what he decides. Well, let me ask you this. I asked the same question to Bob Nightingale two weeks ago. I'm curious if you guys end up having the same answer. At first, I asked him was, how many teams do you think will realistically have a shot at signing Otani? And then if if how what teams do you think those teams are? Probably less than five, maybe. I yeah. mean, I would think that the Angels still have a chance. I would think the Dodgers make maybe the most sense. I think the Giants have a real shot. Um, I think, I mean, the Padres, you can't rule them out because um, they've been throwing out big money. Um, but they've also been kind of a mess in terms of they're, they're having a terrible year, too. Um, and they've, they've been losing a lot of money, too. Yeah, and historically, they're not like they're some sort of winning franchise. Um, and the Mariners, too, are a team that are in that mix. I hear their name, but I also I don't believe it. I don't think he's going to go to Seattle. I really don't. Um, and the same thing. They're playing better this year. Maybe they do get the wild card, but they haven't really had a history of winning either. You know, they made the playoffs last year for the first time in 21 years. And, you know, and then the Mets, too, are in that same boat where, I mean, I get the fact that the Mets have the most money and Cohen's going to spend whatever it takes. But the Mets are, you know, a joke this year. And truthfully, they said they're not going to compete for a couple of years anyway. So, like, why would Shoei want to sign for a team when their GM is saying they're not going to compete for two years? I mean, that's to me, that was Billy Epler, the former Angel GM, him telling Scherzer that was probably the worst move of the whole season. So, I mean, for him to say that out loud, they weren't looking to compete. Why, why would any big thing, free agent or someone like Shohei even entertain to play for a team like that if they're not going to compete? So um, I would rule them out because of those comments, truthfully. And I really don't see him going to the Yankees or Red Sox either, to be honest. I don't really see him going to the East Coast. Um, so I don't know. I, I think really the Dodgers might be the team to beat. Um, I think the Giants are a wild card for sure. And I think the Angels still have an outside chance just because of the familiarity. You know, what happened with Trout. You know, everybody, when Trout was going to be a, a free agent after a year, everyone was talking on the East Coast like he was a for sure deal. He was going to be gone and he was going to be a Philly or a Yankee and all yeah. that stuff. But us, on the, you know, someone who covered him, I wasn't even a little bit surprised that he signed with the Angels um, the way that he did. Um, but Trout, I mean, with Otani, I'd be a little more surprised just because of the way things have gone in recent years and the fact they haven't made the playoffs in such a long time. Um, but, you know, he is comfortable here, and we'll kind of see how it goes. But I don't think it's going to be that many teams that are really going to be in the mix. And I don't really see him going to the Midwest either. I'm sure the Cubs will have interest. Um, but, yeah, I don't really see him going to the East Coast or Midwest. So I, I kind of kind of rule it mostly just the teams in the West Coast. I could be wrong. Like I said, it really is impossible to know exactly what he wants. Um, but just based on what I, I do kind of know and what I hear, I, I do think that it's most likely he's going to probably stay on the West Coast. Yeah, I always think it's funny when you get a report and it's like, this team has interest in the player. It's like, we're all interested in dating supermodels, but they're right. not. Yeah, everybody models. wants to Otani, yeah. <laughs> we're supposed to have interest in him, too. It doesn't mean he's going to go to Kansas City. <laughs> so your answer aligns with very much with what Bob had to say. Bob said, he said four teams at most. He said the, the all four California teams that, he's, that you mentioned. And we also discussed that the Padres kind of idea of, you know, they are losing money and similar to what you said about they're, you know, not having a whole lot of success. Uh, he said he thinks he gives the best chance to both LA teams. He thinks Angels and Dodgers are the, those are, it's going to, he thinks it'll be one of those two, but he That's also thinks. Guess, too. If, I, if I had to, someone put a gun to my head, I'd be like, it'd be one of those two, one of those two teams would be my guess. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I definitely could. That's just my, my gut. Oh, no, yeah. Totally could well, be wrong because, like I said, Shohei going to be whatever he wants and, and nobody knows what he wants just yet the one thing that bob noted about the giants that i thought was interesting was that the giants need him more than any other yeah. team because of their struggling with attendance right now and revenue and mm -hmm. they were i mean five years ago even with a 73 win team they were like fourth in attendance and right yep. now they're around the middle of the league that's a really, big that's ballpark it's the best ballpark in the league too so yeah and yeah. i think Bob mentioned some of it is COVID because the city was very strict on Yeah, a lot lockdowns. of downtowns are tough. I mean, Twins have been down with attendance all year, too. It's really just downtowns right now. People are kind of yeah. staying away from them. And People got yeah. used to staying inside and not really yeah. going out. And so he said that, you know, how could you fix this? Well, he signed Shohei Otani. However, thing with the Giants is they've been linked to so many of these big free agents. How many times have they actually been able to pull the trigger? Even with Correa, yeah. they had them, but they didn't end up pulling the trigger. And they were smart not to. I would yeah, say that they were smart. smart. 
it was good not to sign that gigantic contract, but I mean, couldn't get Judge, couldn't get Harper. So yeah, that's the thing. You know, is it going to happen again? Are they going to be right there and have Shoei close, and then he's going to go sign somewhere else? I can see it happening, but yeah, I can yeah. see him being a fit there though too for sure. Um, I think yeah, I think it'll be Angels or Dodgers, and like you said, there's no way for us to really know because yeah. Shohei doesn't he doesn't talk about any of this stuff. No. He's very private and even, yeah, he's just very private and that kind of stuff. I think he's so focused on the day-to-day -day stuff. I don't think he probably allows himself to get that far ahead either really yeah. yet. Um, Cause he's, he's, you know, it's just amazing for him just to prepare every day to do what he does. Takes so much as it is to be a two-way player. I don't think he allows himself to really think too far into the future. And we spoke the last time we spoke, I asked you if there was any chance that they would trade Shohei and we you pretty much said, no, this is not going to happen unless the only situation would be if Otani just flat out said, I'm not re-signing or demanded a trade, which we knew he's never going to do that. That's not his personality. So um, were you at any point, did you doubt at any point that, you know what, hey, maybe they actually will entertain this as we got close to the deadline, or were you pretty confident that nothing would happen? I think there was a point there where maybe I thought they could at least entertain it um, before they went on that winning streak against, you know, the Yankees and uh, heading into that series, they were playing pretty poorly. You know, they, they finished the first half um, kind of struggling there going into the all-star break. Um, and so if they would have continued to play poorly out of the all-star break, there was a chance of that, you know what, maybe we'll have to just trade them because they're going to be so far out of it that what would be the point of hanging on to them if they're just going to be playing out the string. But to their credit, you know, they went on a run there and they said they swept the Yankees and swept the, the Tigers and kind of got right into a good position there. We're only three games back and really ahead of the other teams too in that wild card chase. Um, decided to go for it. And then as soon as they went for it, like I said, it all kind of fell apart there for them um, at, at a tough time. So um, so in that sense, I wasn't, you know, once they started winning, I thought there's no chance they're going to trade him. There was a moment there I thought, okay, at least they could entertain the, the idea of it. But I still was pretty firm that they were never going to trade him. The ownership didn't want to lose him. If they even had any chance at all of, of re-signing him, they didn't want to trade him and, and kind of eliminate that chance. Um, and truthfully, you know, part of it's just the business side of it too. I mean, the fans are still coming to the ballpark, and he pitched, you know, yesterday against the Giants, and it was you know a huge crowd just to come see him pitch. So, um, you know, the tennis is always up whenever he pitches. Um, he still brings interest to the team. So, if they would have traded him, you know, the rest of the year, the fans probably wouldn't really want to come anymore. It would have been a totally different vibe around the team. So. I still think it was, you know, they, they did the right thing. It's just, you're right. I think the results haven't been good and, you know, the result oriented part of it's been wrong, but I think the actual decision to go for it when you have Shohei, you know, why not, you know, let's try to get this, you know, amazing player to the postseason for the first time in his career or the first time for, you know, the franchise in eight years and get the fans excited and they did the right thing. It just, it just, they were in every game right afterward. They just found ways to lose. And it's too bad because now they're in a tough spot. So we are now four and a half months into the season, which is, again, crazy. What has surprised you most about this Angels team? Is there a player or two, either in a positive way or a negative way, that you've been surprised by? Yeah, I mean, Mickey Moniak's been definitely a big positive surprise for sure. I mean, he was someone that coming into the year, didn't really know what to expect from him, was pretty far down the outfield depth chart. You know, they went out this offseason and got, you know, Hunter Renfro and even Brett Phillips as their fourth outfielder to join, you know, Taylor Ward and Mike Trout. Also had Joe Adele in that mix, too. So he was a little bit of an afterthought coming into the season. And sure enough, he's been a revelation. You know, he's been one of their better players. You know, still has to draw more walks and cut down on the strikeouts. But when he makes contact, he makes really hard contact. And uh, he's been a good defender in center and, you know, even in the corners. So he's been a big part of this team for them, and you got to figure he's going to be a big part of it going forward. Um, you know, they don't probably have to go into the offseason looking for an outfielder now. They can kind of roll with an outfield of, of Trout and uh, Ward and, and, and him and, you know, maybe Adele in that mix too because he's had a nice year other than the fact that he's he's hurt now with an oblique injury. But, yeah, I would say Moniac's probably the, the biggest surprise in terms of a positive. Um, I think Reed Detmer's pitching-wise is someone I thought would be a little bit better um, and just hasn't really found that quite yet. His stuff is so good. Um, he's found he's shown flashes, but hasn't really been, I think, the dominant pitcher that they really wanted to see the whole year. And their rotation in general has been kind of inconsistent, which is yeah. the reason why they are where they are, truthfully. Their offense, 
has been good. You know, I think it's top five in most categories, but their biggest issue for them has just been they, they're terrible with runners in scoring position. And they spend that way all year. Um, and I don't know why or how they can fix that, but that's been their biggest issue. They, they get everybody on base and then they can't drive men. So um, that's been an issue. And then the starting pitching has probably been their biggest issues because um, they have, a, you know, they, they added to their depth. I thought that was smart. They definitely needed it because they've had a ton of injuries. I think they have 17 guys on the injury list. So, so yeah, it's, they're in a, they've had a, just a tough year with the injuries and they did everything they could. They added a ton of depth. It's hard for me to blame the GM and Perry Manazian or, or even blame the manager and Phil Nevin. I think the players all play for Phil. They really like Phil. It's just, they've had all these injuries and this team just seems to kind of, you know, get in its own way sometimes and, and not come through uh, when it's needed most with runners on. And like I said, they've had inconsistent bullpen issues and same with the rotation. So they're a better team, I think, than they've been playing, but they got to start showing that here pretty quickly. Yeah, I would say that pitching has really disappointed me as a whole. Like, coming into the year, I thought Tyler Anderson would be better. I thought Same. Patrick Sandoval would be better, Detmers. I thought that those three plus Otani, that you're looking at one of their stronger rotations that they've had in a little while. Um, but as a whole, the rotation has been pretty lackluster. Absolutely, yeah. That's been the issue, you know. And they're counting on some young guys and guys that, you know, were good in the second half last year. Jose Suarez was part of that too, and he was really bad, and he's been you know, injured most of the year now too, so that, that hasn't helped. You know, Griffin Canning at least has held his own, probably better than expected. We right, Sandoval's been pretty uh, inconsistent, and, and Detmers hasn't really got it going. And Anderson, he keeps him in games, and he's been pitching better, but his overall ERA has been pretty much like double his ERA last year with the Dodgers, so um, so that's been tough for them too. And then Estevez has been great at the back of the bullpen, but has had his troubles recently. Um, and, the, you know, the bullpen outside of that, it, you know, Matt Moore has been great, but they've had, you know, other tough late losses with blown leads with the bullpen. So it, it's just been one of those years where I'm sure for the fans it's got to be really frustrating because you see this pretty good team here on paper and they're just always stuck around 500 and can't really get it going. All right, so you got a good look at the Mariners last weekend. Mariners are the hottest team in baseball right now. They've won seven in a row. They've they're like 13 and 2 over the last 15 something like. They've been playing great baseball as of late. They're now 10 games above 500. They're, this is pretty much what they've done the last 2 years. They had a very slow start in each of the last couple of years. This year it felt a little bit like it wasn't going to come because we saw them win a postseason series last year. We saw them, you know, that that series against Houston in the playoffs. They were right there. It was it was a sweep, but I mean they led two of those games. The third game went to 15 innings, I think. So maybe it was more than that. It was a lot of, it was a long, long game. And I just thought that with Seattle, I, I, I had high expectations. A lot of people had high expectations at the deadline. They're selling off parts. Um, but Seattle's doing what they've done the last couple of years. They're really heating up at the right time. You got a good look at them uh, last weekend in that sweep. What would you say the key has been to their newfound success? I mean, a big part of it is their rotation is just so good. You know, they really have a great rotation. And uh, even after trading Seawall, they still have a really good bullpen. Um, their offense, um, definitely very strikeout heavy. Um, that's their biggest issue, but they do have some power. And some guys are getting hot at the right time. You know, Eugenio Suarez at third base was on fire coming into the series. And I think he had an RBI in 10 straight games. Um, J.P. Crawford's been walking a ton at the top of the lineup, getting on base, scoring a lot of runs. Um, so Teoscar Hernandez has been a little better. Um, Ty France, some of these guys offensively that really were having kind of down years compared to their, you know, normal numbers are uh, starting to heat up down, kind of get back to their normal numbers. So it's been, you know, kind of uh, good timing for them. They're kind of peaking right when they, you know, the Angels wanted to peak and said it's the Mariners peaking again uh, this time of year. But really it starts with that rotation. You know, Logan Gilbert's been great. Um, you know, they're just, they're, you know, Luis Castillo's, you know, been an ace for a long time. They just have a lot of rotation depth and they're just, a, you know, really good uh, back end of the bullpen too, you know, Andres Munoz is great. So they, they have arms for sure. And if you have a good rotation like that and you can kind of, you know, George Kirby as well. I mean, you, you can continue to kind of keep it going and build some winning streaks with uh, starting pitching. I think is, is key for them. And they're, they're scoring enough runs now. The offense is starting to get hot at the right time. So otherwise they're a team that strikes out too much, to be honest. Um, but if they can hit the ball over the fence and, and, you know, do things like that, they can win. And they've been doing that recently. And that's been kind of going hand in hand with good pitching. And that's why they've been, I think, the, the hottest team here, just because they've been pitching great and doing enough, you know, hitting enough 
uh, finally to, to finally get those wins. So Seattle is now five and a half games back, which it's not like they're right there, but they're they're not out of it in the American League West. You've got Houston and you've got Texas. I mean, this is shaping up to be an amazing division race. Even if Seattle, Peter, if, even if Seattle isn't able to keep up with those team, two teams at the top, you got both teams in Texas. Um, they only have one series left with each other. You got Scherzer and Verlander on opposing sides once again. I'm very excited about the AL West. Do you have a team that you favor to win this division? It's a tough one. You know, I think right now, I mean, the Rangers having the lead obviously gives them a little bit of a, an edge there, and they've had the division lead pretty much most of the season here. Um, I love their offense. Um, their pitching has been great. Just, you know, obviously the injury-prone rotation is a little bit of a concern. Um, they've had some other guys go down, but it sounds like Jonah Heim is going to come back faster than they expected. You know, Seager's already back from his injury, so... To me, I'll stick with the Rangers and say they're going to find a way to, to finish it off and, and to win this division. Um, the Astros, I think, are a great team, especially when they have Jordan Alvarez back like they do. Kyle Tucker is an underrated superstar. But they don't have as much depth as they've had in, in previous years. Um, I know Chaz McCormick's been a revelation for them. has been great in the outfield, but they just don't have quite as much depth, um, I think, pitching-wise and position player-wise as they had in recent years. So I think they're still a very good team and um, – wouldn't want to face him in the in the postseason, um, but I do think that um, right now the Rangers have just had a maybe just a better overall team right now. Um, the Mariners, I think, will be in that mix I, to win the division. Though to me, I'd be pretty surprised. I, I could see the Mariners, you know, overtaking the Blue Jays maybe and getting into the postseason as a wild card. But winning the division for me would be pretty tough to see. But would not be surprised to see the Astros pull it off like they usually always do. But I think this year the, the Rangers have enough to maybe hold them off here. I'm going to go with the Astros because, I mean, I, to me, it's a little bit like the Braves and the Mets last year. You've got this Rangers a little bit like the Mets, a lot of new guys on that team, new pieces. They haven't done it before together. They haven't won the division. Then you got the other team that has really owned the division for the past several years. So I think Houston will win this division. One thing I like about the Verlander trade with them is – it gives them a lot of options with pitching. So they've had a very young pitching rotation past Valdez and Javier, mm -hmm. but now they have a lot of flexibility because last year they threw the friend of the program, JP France. He got, he threw in uh, relief last weekend and now okay. they're going to a six man rotation, which you'll see this weekend in yeah. Houston. Sure. So they have the opportunities with France, Hunter Brown, um, gosh, I think Brandon Bielek is still yeah. in that rotation. Yeah, and then Blanco was another guy that we saw. But, I mean, I think what you'll see now is, but I think this Verlander thing makes a huge difference, is before you were looking at Javier and Valdez as your really two locks for the postseason right. and then having to trust two rookies uh, to start. Now you're looking at you had Verlander on top of that. Now you only have one of those rookies potentially starting. Oh, Sorry, you have Jose Urquidy back. He's the other guy. I forgot yeah, about him. Exactly. Um, so you could go Urquidy, too. You could throw him in there. I don't know. I haven't been as impressed with Urquidy since that 2019 little postseason run he had. Uh, he's been solid, but I don't yeah. think of him at the same level as those other yeah. guys. But what I like is you have this flexibility with the six-man rotation. Hunter Brown was someone who was lights out out of the bullpen last year. So maybe he ends up being kind of your hot, long reliever that you use, or you could use France in that role. So I like the flexibility that the Verlander add. I think it really strengthens their bullpen in addition to their rotation. Yeah, it makes sense. You're right. It's a huge move for them. You know, they, rough, they definitely need another starter, and to get one like Verlander, too, I mean, it's huge for them, so... Right, the postseason, you know, rotation lines up much stronger now. And even said, even now during the season, you can give those young guys a little bit more rest with the six-man rotations. They're a little bit more fresh uh, later in the year because you're right; these rookies and these young guys probably hadn't pitched as many innings. So now it's a, kind of a chance for them to kind of get a little bit of a, a reset with Verlander in that rotation. Yeah, and it's uh, and he's also had the success there too. And I am concerned. Uh, Brian Kenny did a good job last week showing the dip in velocity that Scherzer is showing yeah. uh, for over the last two years, especially. So I don't know. I I would rather have Verlander than Scherzer if I was making. Yeah, at this point, yeah, I agree with that for sure. You go with you'd say Verlander yeah, over Scherzer. Verlander, yeah, absolutely. I mean, last year he's come out to Cy Young. You know, he hasn't been quite as good this year, but he's still yeah, he's still better than Scherzer right now. Scherzer's on the kind of on the downhill. 
And also, he's going back to a place where he's already found great success before. So exactly. it's fun. It's a fun. I mean, it, I feel like I know I've heard some of these guys on MLB Network talk about this. Former players, when you have those reinforcements come in, it gives you new life. You get energized, and especially when you have Justin Verlander coming yeah. back, walking through that door. I think it gives that team a nice little emotional boost. Big time, yeah, oh, for sure, absolutely does. So, Rhett, uh, we're an hour in now. We're going to wrap things up, but I'm curious, before we go, do you have any other takes on baseball, anything to watch for, or anything to discuss today for me? No, I mean, really, just the big thing is just Otani. He's just so much fun to watch. Anytime you get a chance to watch him, make sure you do, especially when he's starting on the mound. You know, right now, he's been on a nice stretch here. He's had 19 straight innings without allowing an earned run. So to me, he's the best, you know, player in truthfully, like in baseball history. I mean, it really is amazing what he does every day. So just one of those things, just don't take him for granted. I'm fortunate enough to cover him. I know it's tough sometimes people to watch him because he's on the West Coast. Um, but he really is a special player, and it's going to be fun to see what he does the rest of the way on in route to winning the MVP. And then, uh, you know, I'm going to be really busy this offseason figuring out what they're going to do with him uh, going forward. And, you know, even with the decisions with the Angels, with – you know, their front office and with Nevins in the last year of his deal. So, um, yeah, so there's a lot of stuff going on with the Angels. So definitely tune in on Angels coverage here at MLB.com because there's going to be a lot of crazy stuff coming up with this organization and a lot of questions they have to answer here in the next few months. I've got another one for you. AL East or AL West right now? Better division. Ooh, um, probably. Well, it's a tough one. I mean, there, there's more. There's better Teams at the top of the West, I think, but the Braves are just the best team right now in baseball, so it's tough to like pick any division that doesn't has the Braves pick against them. Oh no, no, sorry. AL East or AL West. Oh, AL East or AL West? Oh. Um The East I I really like the Orioles a lot and the Rays, what they're doing. Yeah. So I, I think that that's it's a really good question though. That's a tough one. Because you know, the Red Sox are still in contention. Um yeah, I guess probably just there's just more there's just because the A's are in the West, yeah. I with the AL East. <laughs> That's the real reason, is the A's bring it all down. <laughs> Very fair. But it's. I think it's interesting because when's the last time we were comparing those two divisions? Right, like, yeah. AL West could be better than the AL East. Yeah, and there's four legit teams in the West right now, and they're at least competing and trying. So, yeah. All right, give me – last thing here. Give me your favorite to come out of the American League. Favorite to come out of the American League. Or you could say who you think the best. Team I, you know, is I'll, right go, now. I'll go with. I, I still. I'm gonna go with. My, I'm gonna go with the Rangers. I think the Rangers right now. I like what they've been doing. I like this team. I like their energy. I like that offense. I love. I love Seager. Seager's been there and done it. He, he's carried a Dodgers team uh, in 2020 in the postseason. I guess he's Seager having a huge, huge offseason. Or sorry, a huge postseason. Sorry. Um, so yeah, let's let's go with the Rangers here. You know, mix it up. A team that hasn't been there in a while uh, as a team in the in the in the AL. He's Rhett Bollinger. Uh, he writes and does a great job at MLB.com. Rhett, give yourself a plug here. To throw out your social media and give a give a shout out for how people can uh, follow your work. Sure, yeah. Cover the Angels for MLB.com. So anything on Angels.com is going to be pretty much my content. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Rhett Bollinger. I started with threads, but don't really use it yet. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, you know, and I have a newsletter that comes out uh Every Friday and every Tuesday, you can look for that on the website and then sign up for that too if you want it in your inbox. Um, so today we did the re-ranks for prospects. So if you go on angels.com today, we're going to have the new prospect ratings for the angels. Uh, the top 30 prospects been re-ranked um, and a new story up about that. So that's today's big content leading into the game is about the, the re-ranked prospects for MLB.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Red. I'm sure we'll be checking in with you. Hopefully, hopefully this fall, if the Angels can get into the postseason somehow, we can talk a little college football then too. Perfect. Thanks for having me on again. <laughs> Thanks, Red. All right, y'all. That concludes today's conversation with Rhett Bollinger. Always a fun time talking with him. And he really knows his college sports, and I love my college sports too. So it was fun that we got to talk a little bit of Pac-12 and conference realignment, even if that's not a subject that people are especially fired up about right now. I'm starting to get excited for college football season. It's coming up in really only a few weeks we'll be having games. So make sure you guys subscribe to the Jack Vita Show here on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you are listening to this podcast, and follow me 
at Jack Vita Show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for more content. Like I said, we're going to have a lot more sports content coming soon. We also have an interview coming out next week with a cast member from the Peacock Show, The Traders. We've got Amanda Clark Stoner. Really amazing story. If you guys haven't watched the show, it was a fun show. It was on earlier this year. You can stream it on Peacock. But Amanda's got an amazing story. Amanda is someone who had drug problems, uh, really a rough upbringing. And I'll, I'll give her a chance to tell her story. I don't want to speak on her behalf. But she had a rough upbringing and she became a Christian and has really been able to turn over a new leaf and God rescued her from her demons. So you guys are not going to want to miss that. And like I said, we'll have another sports episode probably coming out next week too, talking some more baseball. I will keep you guys all posted. You won't miss it if you are subscribed to the Jack Vita show. So thank you all for tuning in. And until next time, I'm Jack Vita, bringing the dancing lobsters. <laughs>